Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we talk with Jukin Media CEO John Scogmo about how his company buys and licenses viral videos, how it fights copyright infringement, and how it's growing its own media presence with Fail Army. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. Here with my colleague Jack Marshall. Jack, how's it going this week? Uh, very well, Stephen. Thank you. Uh, so we've we've got a great episode today. We're also joined by Jukin Media founder and CEO John Scogmo, uh, all the way in from from LA. How's it going, John? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. So Jukin Media, uh, all of our listeners have interacted with content from you guys. They just maybe don't know it. What is your company? What does it do? It's, it's fascinating. Uh, Jack and I have been talking about it all day. Uh, but give us like the sort of crash course in wh- what you guys do. Sure. I, and I'm sure you're right. I'm sure some people have seen our content in some form or another. But um, at the end of the day, we like to think Duke and Media is really a next generation uh, media company, except we're powered entirely by this user-generated content. And when I mean user-generated content, this is usually short-form in nature, that it's usually something that's caught on tape or caught on camera. It's inspirational. It could be funny. It could be cute. It could be newsworthy. And we've really kind of built an infrastructure around this user-generated content. And it's our ability to discover, acquire, and curate this content. And we license it out to other media companies, whether your new show, morning show, talk show, at the same time as we take the same content, same library, and create content verticals that we program to an audience um, on a daily basis. So give us an example of the type of video that, you know, you guys might license. If if something's kind of blowing up, if, you know, if I've taken a video of, you know, some kind of cool incident out in the world and how does it go through you guys and how does it ultimately reach your clients through sort of a, a licensing model? Sure. I'll I'll throw a few names that some of your listeners and you guys might have heard of. Uh, A few weeks ago, there was a big video video out there called Chewbacca Mom. Mm -hmm. You guys might have seen. Um, There was also... We're having her on the podcast next week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, call us Chewbacca Mom. (laughs) (laughs) There was also a few few months back, a big video in New York, if you guys remember Pizza Rat, Mm -hmm. which was a great video. There was also a guy um, who was trying to take a selfie in front of a train who accidentally gets kicked in the head. Kicked in the face. Yeah, so again, these moments that I'm kind of describing these videos are a lot of these kind of lightning in the bottle moments, kind of that caught on camera, the the unexpected moment um, that we actually help. We discover these videos before anyone else seen before, and we help push that virality and help amplify these videos to get seen to the masses. So you must have relatively sophisticated technology and, and staffers who are hard at work trying to find the next viral video sort of on the cusp of... Uh, you know, be, being discovered. How do you find these, and then how do you reach out to the the person who gets kicked in the face by the train and strike a deal with them to to then represent them in the in the market? Yeah, I mean, I think right now we're living in a, in a world where so much content is being created and being deployed into the universe. I think YouTube just put out a statistic not too long ago: about 500 hours are uploaded every single minute, and we're out there trying to combing the best of the best of this content. And I like to say it's really where methodology meets technology, where we have our own methodology. We know exactly what we're looking for, and that's really kind of based on the data um, of our licensing of our licensing team and from our programming team. So we're looking at certain metrics to help us influence what content we're going to buy. And 
and I talk about all this content being deployed in the earth, we're really kind of filtering that content into an end-to-end workflow that we've created. So it's, just probably, it's using our methodology and kind of this proprietary technology to go after a certain piece of content at the end of the day. What are your dealings like with the actual people, you know, the users of the user-generated content when you're speaking with them? I mean, do people know what they have is worth something? I mean, because when, when people upload a funny fail video to the Internet, they're not exactly thinking, great, a media company might reach out to me with the opportunity to have a revenue-sharing arrangement. Like, that's not their default setting. Or are they? I mean, or are they? Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe these days. Are, I don't know. What is it like dealing with these I mean, it's really interesting because I've definitely seen this um, this space kind of grow over the last few years. I think not that many people can say they, they spent their entire career in user-generated content. I did, even pre-YouTube days, and I'm talking about the old video um, submission to sending your you know your VHS tape or DVD to this PO box and an on-call submission through a television show. And I used to produce television shows and be a researcher on these shows. And actually, my job is to help go to the PO box every day and pick up these VHS. So tapes. is that kind of how you got an that's idea how, for for this company? That's a, that definitely started in the business. I, I've been around this content my whole life, so I definitely been seen it from the very beginning how to you know deal with these content creators all the way up till now. So I think now people kind of understand that there may be some value in this content by also like to believe that we've actually created the value and we created the marketplace um, because even about five years ago we weren't working with brands, we weren't working with ad agencies, we weren't, weren't working with news companies um, there's a very limited sector that we were working with so I definitely seen it evolve over time and those conversations how we deal with content creators have evolved over time um, we, we sometimes, you know, people are very savvy. Some people don't know the business. Some people are so shocked that they don't understand this 15 minutes of fame. They may be getting all these requests and they don't know how to handle it. So we kind of e- handle each content creator a little bit differently. So talk a bit about sort of the different um, pillars of your business, because obviously there's licensing, which uh, I understand is obviously a, a big portion of your revenue. Uh, but then you also populate your own sort of Facebook pages and websites and YouTube channels and stuff like that. So I think Fail Army is one of them and a, a couple others. Yeah. Uh, first on the licensing side, um, we have a licensing syndication business where we built out this licensing platform. Kind of think of it as a Getty Images for viral videos where any new show, morning show, talk show, brand, ad agency can come come in onto this platform and download the video for their own creative. And we're doing that with companies here in the U.S. and throughout the world. And international is a huge growing business for us. On the back end of the technology, we built this syndication platform where we're actually syndicating our content to 60 different media digital media publishers where they're actually getting an MRSS feed in real time of our content as the minute that we acquire it and put it into our system. It kind of goes into this uh, pipeline, and they can cherry pick what videos they want, and that's usually against a rev share. Um, as opposed to a license fee. So, so those would be media. digital media publishers that are more inclined to publish sort of check out this pizza rat thing, so like, like the Huffington Post, the Daily Mails of the world. Absolutely, who are, Yahoo's, AOL's, yeah, exactly. So they would sell advertising against that content and, and you would just split the revenue. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you, I would imagine a big part of, of your team is, is making sure that people, you know, the people using those videos have paid for that or are a part of your program um, how do you ensure that people aren't using the videos, you know, improperly? Are you guys monitoring that, and and is that a problem uh, as sort of new platforms like Facebook or you know YouTube, obviously a few years ago, pop up? Sure. I mean, I think 
you know, this content is the most shareable content in the entire world. I mean, people love this, these videos. They love sharing them. But at the same time, it's also the most ripped and stolen content in the world. I mean, people, even major companies are taking this company and building brands and making a lot of money by stealing this content and putting their own video player. So unfortunately... Um, a byproduct of our business is really our rights management har- department where we were deal- really dealing with these infringers on a daily basis. A viral video, a one viral video that starts to go viral can have just about 500 to 1,000 copies on YouTube alone. Luckily, we have a great relationship with YouTube and we work with their content ID system um, and we try to manage the rights around that particular piece of content. Um, when it goes off YouTube, it gets a little more trickier, but we've developed technology and we develop a workflow to help us kind of manage that content off YouTube. And unfortunately, we have to send D, uh, DMCAs. Um, on the other end, you mentioned Facebook. Facebook's been in the press a lot lately um, under freebooting, where that's the same kind of, um, kind of what I just mentioned. Well, YouTube went through the same thing, right? I guess Facebook's just sort of absolutely. So this would be the idea that that people are, you know, or companies kind of ripping off videos, putting them on Facebook, and Facebook is just now sort of growing the technology whereby they can automatically take down videos that infringe on copyright? Correct, yeah, and we're working very closely with the Facebook team. I think they never thought how how fast video would grow so natively on their platform, and they didn't know how to deal with this. Um, luckily, we have a great relationship with Facebook, and we're actually talking to their product team, um, if not weekly, but on a daily basis, of how we can help help them manage rights around other people's content and kind of deal with their rights management system. Do you think Facebook didn't know how quickly video was going to grow or just didn't necessarily have an incentive to <laughs> to maybe quash this like stuff? all video views are good video views when you're trying to grow your video business, yeah. right? Sure. I, I, th- I don't think they understood how big of a rights issue it would be become. Um, you know, and it did explode. It really exploded. I think what it took, what YouTube, you know, eight years to do, you know, Facebook was mentioned that in video views in like a year and a half. I mean, I think who would have thought that? Sure, that was their hope, but they also didn't realize that there's a rights management issue around this content, and there will continue to be a rights management content. There's never a magic wand that will be able to solve this. YouTube developed a really great system, probably the best system in the world, to deal with rights management through their content ID system. However, they really kind of built that to avoid litigation at the end of the day. And I think Facebook is going to have slightly a different approach as they continue to build their product out. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll have more right after this. Stick around. Hi, this is Kevin Sintemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off-Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm here with my colleague Steve Pearlberg uh, and Duke and Media CEO John Skogmo. Um, so, John, we were just kind of talking about the, the licensing side of your business versus sort of the publishing side. Um, I'm interested in why you guys went for sort of the licensing play as opposed to just sort of becoming a publisher yourselves and just sort of, you know, finding all this great content and publishing it and, you know, setting ads yourself against that. Well, I think why the licensing play was first is because, again, my background was on the other side of being, being a producer and, a, and a licensing that content from individual users. I realized there was kind of a need in that in that business. And I really saw video growing. Um, this is back in 2009, 2010 when I started the business, that there was going to be more demand for this content. It wasn't just going to be your traditional clip shows like America's Funniest Home Videos. It was going to be um, news stations. It was going to be brands and advertising agencies. 
And especially for them, they're real, that's a really growing market for us because as content, it becomes more authentic and more organic. Brands are very attracted to this type of user-generated content, especially when they're seeing people, everyday people, playing with their products. So this is the idea that Domino's might want to use the pizza rat video in their own sort of Facebook page or something like that, and they would come to you guys to make that happen? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if Domino's wants rats eating their pizza, but, <laughs> hey, but listen, sure. Yeah. Maybe. You never know. <laughs> but we've worked with companies, you know, everyone from Apple to Coca-Cola to Olive Garden, people using their products, and I think I think that's why there's some kind of attractiveness um, to this, this type of content at the end of the day. How do they typically use that content? Is it for use in TV ads, for example, or as Steve says, to sort of populate their own social media feeds? Or? It's a combination of both. It really is. So it's, it's for TV ads, it's for, it's for digital ads, and sometimes they just want to have that one-on-one conversation with, with, their, with their audience at the day, the, the folks that are using and buying their products or service. And especially because you know, social media is so important and video is so important right now on social media excuse me, on social media, I think it's less likely we're going to keep seeing that glossy car commercial that we've seen a hundred times driving through the cliffs of Malibu and every single car you can think of. Um, it's not native to that platform. And I think, you know, the audience and users want to see content that's more native to that platform and feels more organic at the end of the day. So there have been, you mentioned, you know, like America's Funniest Home Videos and things like that. These shows have been around for years and years. And it seems like these guys should have seen this world coming, right? They had this huge stockpile of viral videos or, or that kind of thing. Yeah, and they had guys like you. And who they had knew guys how like to, you. How to find it. Yeah. So, do you, why? Um, I guess this is a question. You know, you, you guys were able to do it, but why did those companies not do what you guys are doing right now? Like, what did they miss? Well, I think it's a typical of the innovator's dilemma at the end of the day. I mean, they grew such a big business so fast. Vin Bono, who I've met, um, who owns America's Funniest Home Videos, and that's his company, who I've met several times, has been very complimentary. I mean, he had a great business model, and he still does have a great business model. That show's been on the air, on the air for over 25 years, and they were getting one-day truckloads of videos of VHS tapes coming through the mail. And great, he said he had a great success, but... For me, growing up, um, watching Mary's Funny Videos and working on those shows, I also saw there was a hole in the market, and there was a digital hole in the market, and that we can kind of fill that hole at the end of, at the end of the day. So I think it's just just your classic innovator's dilemma, where they were doing something so so right, so good for such a long time, they didn't see us kind of come up in the ranks. And you know, we're a really digital focused company at the end of the day. We source our content digitally as opposed to an analog system and waiting on submissions that they did for such a long time. We look for digital content and we go at after it, as opposed to submissions. When when there are new video platforms, we were talking earlier. So Snapchat just unveiled their um, is it Memories, I think it, it's called, and um, it's the first time that you're sort of able to upload video to Snapchat as opposed to being able to uh, just sort of take take video or, uh, or, or photos there. That presents like a new challenge for you guys because if I have one of your if I have Pizza Rat on my phone and I upload it, and let's say I'm extremely popular on Snapchat and I upload it. Uh, isn't this now another thing that you guys have to monitor? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm actually more excited about the more video platforms that are out there. If we were having this conversation three years ago, we would only be talking about YouTube, right? And now you have Facebook, and now you have Instagram, now you have Vine, now you have Twitter, now you have Snapchat. So with the proliferation of all these video platforms out there, you know, I'm just excited because I know there's going to be more content created at the end of the day. And we're going to monitor them just like we monitor every, every, anybody else. But Snapchat would, in theory, right now be pretty tough to monitor. They don't really have any sort of search functionality or 
I'm not quite sure how you would how you would do that. Sure, I think you know I, I we have you know we're we're looking at uh, Snapchat. I don't know if we're looking at Snapchat the same way we're looking at some of the other platforms, which have public available APIs that we can help pull data. Um, you know, I think Snapchat is an interesting platform, but it may not be the best platform where people are actually creating this viral content. I don't think I've actually yet seen a viral video really come from uh, Snapchat, but it's something that we'll definitely be um, to be looking out for. So you were talking about TV just a second ago. Um, I mean, you guys are kind of not working backwards, but you're working your way into TV as well, right? You have a TV show now in, in partnership with Fox. Is that right? Yeah. So what we what we really done is, um, as mentioned before, our own and operator brands to become a publisher. So we've been so really good on the licensing syndication side. We thought, why don't we take that same li- library and start creating our own brands, our own and operator brands? And we started with you. We started incubating these brands on YouTube. Um, we have a uh, everyday viral video brand called Jukin Video. We have a pet brand called uh, Pet Collective. We have another brand that's really inspirational that's um, more towards like ex- extreme sports called People Are Awesome, which is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And then we have a comedy-focused brand, which is the opposite of People Are Awesome. It's Fail Army. Um, and Fail Army happens to be one of the largest brands on YouTube. It has over 20 million uh, subscribers slash fans between that uh, YouTube and Facebook. And we program our audience um, on a daily basis, um, primarily on YouTube and Facebook, but then we take that, that, that those same programs and we create longer form of content from that and longer form um, formats. And that can live on SVOD, AVOD, or all the way up to television that we're producing up to 30 minutes to 60 minutes. And we did have a show on Fox that was based off of our Fail Army brand. At the same time, we have Fail Army, an international television show. We have 80 episodes that's voiceover in English that gets localized in every market around um, in every market around the world, and that's about 200 markets that the Fail Army international shows in. So when you guys, um, it, most of most of what you do seems to be rather focused on. I mean, F- Fail Army would be would be one example, but sort of the content maybe geared for young, probably male audiences. Some of your competitors who do similar things, one one of which is owned by our, our parent company, uh, might focus more on news. I'm, I'm curious if how you guys break down the. Um, you know, like the different topics that you might get into. Uh, are you are you looking for news content that CNN might might want, or or are you kind of sticking to you know people falling down or, or the pizza rats of the world? Sure, um, I think when we look at our own and operated brands, um, we're we're in an aggregate we're doing about two billion views a month. And we're looking at a lot of those views, especially we're looking at the data and the metrics from those views and what people are watching. And then we decide kind of what brand we're going to launch launch next. Um, We have one called Now Poke My Heart, which is a little bit more female-focused, but generally it's about 50-50 between males and females. And and Fail Army definitely does skew skew a little bit more uh, more male-focused. But when you mention news, you mention companies like Storyful, which is owned by News Corp. I think they're really good at focusing on the news. And I think they position themselves as a social news agency. Um, for us, we look at the world a little bit differently. We look at this content as more entertainment. And I especially think when there's so much um, activity going on in the world right now, the world that we're living in, especially around news and that, those like, got, gotcha moments, um, it's something that we really don't feel comfortable being part of and monetizing that type of content. Um, I think they're good at it and they're good at finding it, but we tend to – we we mostly stay away from the police brutality, shootings, really violent stuff where someone, die, you know, it's, there's death on camera. Sure. We really try to avoid that because we actually, 
we feel like there's a fine line what we should monetize and what what the right thing is to monetize at the end of the day. So when you're watching, I mean, um, you know, Facebook, all eyes were sort of on on Facebook in the last few weeks when, um, you know, some police shooting on Facebook Live. Um, When you're watching that, this is something that, you know, has been in your world. Like, do you think that Facebook handles those situations well? What, like, what, what should they keep in mind going forward as live becomes a bigger part of their platform? Like, how do you solve against, uh, against that? I, I think there's so many issues with live, and I think it's great that they have this huge initiative to go live. But um, w- what is the ethical line that I was kind of just mentioning? I mean, what should they cut off and what should they air? It's really hard to say, and I think Facebook is just letting it be a free platform. But um, you're running into a lot of dangerous issues, especially with violence, um, these caught, these really caught in camera moments where, 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 where death occurs. It's also there's a huge rights management we talked about infringing on rights. A few, I think a year ago, there was a big issue with um, Periscope when they were showing the Pacquiao fight. And they were showing, I think, the season finale of Game of Thrones. Right. And These so are people just kind of pointing their cameras at exactly their televisions. Exactly, the television, and, right. Yeah. So you're dealing with a whole different rights issue. So it's a really gray area that I think Facebook has to work out um, and any of these kind of platforms that are focusing on live video. So now that it's like the convention week, do you guys – I mean, when there are big events – this is a supposed – I guess a news event. But when there are big events, are your curators looking out for – crazy spectacles that might happen at the convention that might fall under the uh, subject of entertainment because it certainly would you ever it have, certainly promises to be entertaining yeah or do you ever have people on the ground at certain events or maybe the convention isn't the best example mm-hmm. for you guys but well i think i think for us we, we there's very rare occasions where we put somebody on the ground um again we're really focused on entertainment and i think there's other folks that are good at the news but for us we're also not not only entertainment is a reason why we're focusing is because we're also looking at the unit economics of these videos. So any video that we get in, we're always looking at the profit and loss from these videos and what videos do better than others and what's the optimal length, what's the optimal, how many dogs are in a video. I mean, it gets kind of that micro that we understand our library so well. We understand what content monetizes and what content doesn't. And we found that, that the shelf life on news content doesn't really monetize that well. Right, but, do- but dogs, you know, a-, a funny dog video will kind of forever. It's amazing know. that that's a KPI, how many dogs are in this video. <laughs> it could be at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, one thing our listeners are probably very curious about, which we should have asked you sooner, is what, what and you probably get this question quite a bit, what are you paying out to to uh, the users or the, the video creators here? Yeah, this, I mean, these guys are, at the end of the day, these these aren't really content creators. So when you mention, are we going out and sending people out? These guys are accidental content creators at the end of the day. They're one-offs videos. They happen just to kind of get this amazing thing caught on camera, that lightning in the bottle moment that I mentioned. So at the end of the day, we're either paying them a one-time fee, uh, and that could be as low as, I've paid as low as $50 for a fee. I paid as high as $5,000. Um, How many dogs were in that one? Uh, well, probably 12. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So it can kind of range. Do you ever, would you ever potentially share in the revenue? Uh, we also do that too. So we also do a revenue split um, against royalties that, that could go on forever for perpetuity. I know there are some folks that we've helped pay uh, for their entire college tuition. Um, I know there was instances where um, a guy crashed crashed uh, his car into a house, and we helped pay for his almost entire house that, that, that landed <laughs> on his car. So we're happy to do a rev share split. We're happy to do a one-time payment. It kind of depends um, on a clip. It looks, we, we look at that on a clip-to-clip basis. We touched on this earlier, but are people typically 
to your point, you know, they're accidental content creators. Are they typically happy just to get, you know, some money? Um, or do you find that some people are sort of fairly sophisticated now? I mean, if you happen to call someone and they know how this sort of works these days. Sure. Well, I hope everyone's sophisticated at the end of the day. I hope we're always dealing with sophisticated people. But um, there's a mean that maybe someone, maybe their motives are money. Some motives are fame at the end of the day. Some people just want to be on the Today Show, Good Morning America, and we can help facilitate that for them. Some are just inundated with so much requests, and they just need help doing that. And again, they're not really interested in the money. And there are folks that are interested in the money, and we're happy to give them a I'm sure, or we're happy to give them a big upfront payment. How fast do you have to be? Because sometimes you, you look at a uh, someone uploading an interesting picture or video on Twitter, and you click on it, and all the replies are like, "Hi, I'm John from CNN," you know, and or and just reply after reply. So how you you guys have to be relatively fast and get to these people so that you can represent them. I mean, how fast do you have to be? I mean, absolutely. I mean, we're monitoring this, and we built some pretty amazing technology that, that I mentioned before. I mean, we're getting this content, less than 500 videos, or I'm sorry, less than 500 views, and we've seen that something jump up to 50 million views in a 48-hour window. So we have to be very fast. But at the end of the day, I also think we also offer a great value proposition to these content creators. Um, if they want money or if they want fame, or it's a combination of both, um, it's a great value prop. And also the rights management which I touched on before, where I don't think any other company is actually doing any rights management really around user-generated content, and that's something we've really perfected. All right, well, we have to wrap things up there. It's a really interesting company, and thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I will uh, catch you next time on the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Thanks. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.